for tuning in to Mystic Witch. I'm your host, Blue. You can find out more about me at bluejunetarot.com. Mystic Witch is a podcast about magic, divination, and all things supernatural. Hey, Mystic Witches. Today we are here with David Shi, who is a spiritual worker and folk magic practitioner of Manchurian descent, raised in a household that incorporated both Southeast Siberian and North Chinese practices. David has dedicated his spare time to the study of the spiritual traditions of his ancestors and of greater Eurasia. Recognized by Mongolian and Korean shamans as a David, can you do me a favor? Pronounce it for me. Sure, it's either Sagasha or Ungotengerte. Thank you. Which is a, a future shaman prior to initiation. David's practices are deeply rooted in spirit work, in which ancestral and land spirits are called to empower all workings. David is the author of the book North Asian Magic, Spellcraft from Manchuria, Mongolia, and Siberia, has conducted workshops across the country, including Witches Fest, NYC, Catland Books, and the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company, and was a featured guest on the podcasts That Witch Life by Courtney Weber, On Sacred Ground by Kai Armand, and previously on Mystic Witch. Hi, David. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for pronouncing that. Can we hear Ongod to can we hear it again one more time? Sure. It's Ongotengerte. Um basically Ongotenger refers to shamanic spirits. So the term that term refers to someone who has shamanic spirits. And then the previous word, sagasha, means cocoon. I love that there's a term for it. So basically If I understand correctly, this is someone who as a child exhibited traits of shamanic tendencies and has yet to complete initiation process. Right. It's what what has been at that stage, what has completed been completed is that they've been recognized by elders from these cultural traditional lineages. They've been recognized by the by the elders to have. Um, shamanic spirits. So it's there. They definitely are supposed to become a shaman. It just hasn't happened yet because either the initiation ceremony hasn't happened or they haven't found the appropriate teacher yet. Uh, thank you for specifying that there is like an officiality to being recognized. I appreciate that because, mm-hmm. you know, having the traits and then being like agreed upon by everyone is very different in the culture, right? Oh, yeah, very much so. It's it's almost like you because it is like a lineage tradition, it's it's a tradition that requires elders, both not only just for verification, for training, but also just to um, sort of like pass on and preserve. It's it's a, an entire process, really. Okay, so we're here today to discuss the QAnon shaman. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And shaman will be used in air quotations. Anytime you hear me say that word referring to that individual, it is not a real title that I am bestowing upon them. Um, In fact, from my understanding, without being an indigenous person, it's not even possible. Also, 
we're going to talk a little bit about self-initiation not being possible as well. And he's very clear that he is self-proclaimed. <laughs> uh, yep. And, you know, most importantly, uh, his mixture of cultures of different shamanic traditions. Uh, well, at the end of the day, there are certain Diné spiritual practitioners who have basically said outright that he's cursed himself. <laughs> now, I don't expect everyone to agree. What do you think, David? I mean, I, I, I don't know enough about their tradition to say whether or not he has cursed himself by invoking their name and their usage. But yeah, basically this guy, he's taken the word shaman because it's it's one of the new sexy words that emerged in the 20th century, which was taken from um, really a Siberian indi indigenous tradition. And it's it's become so broadly misused that people really don't know what um, what the true meaning of the word is. And people actually apply it to pretty much every indigenous tradition in the world. And many Native American elders who I have interacted with, they, they recognize that it is not their word. It's a word that Westerners have put on them. Um, they don't have that same role. They don't have that word. Many of them, and what I've talked to when trying to come up with an English word to describe their spiritual traditions, have agreed upon using the word medicine, um, which is uh, what I come across. But I think the only times I've come across people using that word is they're either using it in such appropriative ways in which they don't know the meaning of the word, or they, or even, I don't even mind if people use the word for online gaming, because we all know that's not real. Um, <laughs> sometimes I come across young people in native traditions who use the word because they don't know what other word to use in English. And honestly, I, I cannot blame them for that. But in cases of this guy, he clearly has demonstrated no lineage. He has not demonstrated any cultural you know, a practice in which he's been recognized. If anything, he, like, as you said, he put the title on himself and mixes words and practices from many traditions in ways that are not recognized. If, if anything, he's committing theft. Uh, one thing I do want to mention to people is that I'm not saying point blank that Westerners cannot practice any indigenous traditions point blank, but there is a process. If someone from the West, uh, a white person with no um, lineage, in order for them to practice, they have to be recognized and accepted by elders from those traditions and accept the fact that they will oftentimes say no. So what is true shamanism? Um, so it's a little bit difficult to um, define it in the modern sense, but the best definition that I've come across is a shaman is someone who is specifically chosen by the spirits, usually when they're born, to essentially perform two tasks or be able to perform two tasks. One of them is um, transpossession by the spirits that chose them. The second one is being able to do spirit flight, which is where your soul leaves your body to go to one of the um, spirit worlds in order to accomplish a certain task. And Really, the emphasis is you have to be chosen by specific spirits, and those specific spirits are the ones that work with you specifically. And the other um, unique factor is that they have to be able to go into a controlled, repeatable, deliberate trance state to do those two things I mentioned. Um, so 
there's a lot of indigenous cultures who blur on the edge of shamanism, but it's not quite the same, such as their transposition might be a little bit random. It might not be by specific spirits each and every single time, or it might happen unintentionally. Uh, in the case of a shaman, they are chosen by specific spirits going to deliberate, repeatable trance states to do those things. And, and, and oftentimes those spirits that choose them they are either ancestors who were uh, past shamans when they were still alive um, or by land spirits. That's pretty much the, the best definition that I've come across. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, spirit flight, right? I think that was mm -hmm. what you said. I love that terminology. Is it basically the same as astral projection? Um, so basically spirit flight is where the concept of um, shamanic journey came from. Um, I don't know enough about the Western concept of astral projection, but what I can say is that spirit flight in these indigenous traditions is considered to be very dangerous because unless you have um, the proper protections by your both yourself and your spirits accompanying you, it, you your soul runs the risk of being harmed or attacked when it's sort of out and about vulnerable in the spirit worlds. Um, so I don't know if it's quite the same as astral projection, but the thing with spirit flight is that truly initiated and trained shamans who have this teaching, um, they're able to go into trance at any point, And during the trance state, they're able to send their soul out of their body to do what needs to be done, such as um, like soul retrievals or even the, the need to engage spirits on their own turf, so, so to speak. Um, so it is not something that is, it's not something that anyone and everyone should practice. It does require specific training because it is considered dangerous. Um, it's not the same as I will say like the guided meditations where they say you go out or you you visualize going into a cave and then you come across spirits and gods and interact with them. Yeah, I'll be honest, a lot of that isn't really true spirit flight. A lot of that is your visual, it's still internalized. You're visualizing um, yourself doing these things. And I'm not saying that they're not legitimate, because, but I see them as legitimate only in the sense that by placing your mind in that environment, then those spirits and gods come to you directly, right? As opposed yeah. to your soul actually going out. When that actually happens, theoretically, your body is actually unconscious. So if someone like pokes you, you won't even notice it. Oh, you know, I would say then, no, it's a parallel at best to yeah. astral projection. It's not the same thing at all. Astral projection is probably also should be handled with the, the utmost care as well. But guided meditation, that's more of like a, I, I tend to use that more for like psychic hygiene. How about you? Um, it, 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 it could be. It's not, I'll be honest, it's not something that I personally do a lot, but I can see it as a way to sort of keep yourself like in practice or to hone or enhance um, your abilities. Because uh, even such, I, I wouldn't be surprised if even if such practice can help with just your general intuitive abilities. Again, it, it's not something that I regularly do. I, I've only ever done it when I'm out in group settings uh, because that's what the group is doing. But otherwise, yeah. Yeah, some days, I mean, with the amount of work, it depends, I think, on how much energy you're putting into div divination and such and healing work. 
Um, the amount of work that I do sometimes I'm so drained that all I can do is a guided, <laughs> like someone else has to basically do most of the heavy lifting. <laughs> I, the other thing that you said, I forgot the terminology you used, but it sounded to me like it was similar to channeling. Oh, so, uh, the transpossession part. Yes. Yes. So that is essentially when you when that, when the shaman specific, um, spirits essentially come and, engage them in trans possession and essentially for all intents and purposes that person um even though they have the same body is basically that person becomes the spirit because the spirit is using their body to speak it's using their body to um to perform things oftentimes when this happens it's to at the same time both provide divination and to provide healing work at the same time um so it's a way for the community to directly engage with the spirits and ask for aid and the spirit is usually able to do it partially because they have like quote unquote you know spirit powers but they also because they were shamans in the past when they were living they hold a lot of knowledge insights and even um ceremonies that might be forgotten so they can actually perform a lot as wisdom holders that they're able to do a lot more things that's so beautiful thank you so much for clarifying all of that for us now of course we know that you know it's probably very dangerous what he's done um but even more importantly in today's time, it's offensive and problematic. So tell us in your own words why the QAnon shaman, part of the capital insurrection, how is that harmful and disrespectful to cultures? Honestly, what what has really upset me is that the media is now using the word shaman more so than ever, but it's because it's referring to him. So if anything, I know the media is probably not out to like, smear us, but that's essentially what it does. Uh, it basically, what unfortunately happens is that people who are not spiritual see the word shaman, attach it to this guy, and they're going to treat all of us with, you know, n- not, not even just like mockery or disdain simply because we've always experienced that, but it's going to be even more pronounced, I feel. And that's what I feel is really the um, harmful impact of him associating himself with that word. I mean, it's the basic offensive thing is that he's taking a a native word that's indigenous to Siberia and applying it to himself. And then he's taking um, spiritual traditions from native peoples and saying that he's a practitioner of them is just mishmashing it together. It does none of our cultures a service because not only is there more confusion about what each of us what each of us does, it almost it's 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 a very colonial take on just everything that's happening. W- one thing I do want to even and mention is that the only word, the only reason why the word shaman is popular in the 20th century is because really of patriarchy. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but in the original shamanic traditions within Siberia, within North Asia, they actually had different words for male shamans and fe- female shamans. And the word shaman technically refers to a male shaman, and it only happened because the Russian anthropologists only talked to the men. They only talked to the male shamans. And so when they identified themselves, they're like, yeah, I'm a I'm a shaman. That's the word they use. And if anything, the female word for shaman is actually much older. It's called utkan. It's actually utkan is used by many, many, many different tribes in North Asia, whereas the word shaman is only used by like three tribes, four maybe actually. And so it 
it implies that shamanism was true shamanism was originally practiced by women. The word for a, a female shaman, Utkan, is much older. Um, so it's if anything, if it wasn't for patriarchy, it would be talking about Utkanism instead of shamanism. And I don't think this is anything that anyone in the West realizes. Very few people realize. And the fact that this guy who stormed the capital he clearly has no understanding of where the word comes from. He probably believes that it's it's a Native American word. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people in the West have that misconception. Um, but essentially what he's also done is he's opened himself up to essentially the, the annoyance or even the wrath of the spirits of the cultures that he's claimed to be practicing the methodologies of. And he's essentially throwing indigenous peoples of different continents or under the bus with how he's like presenting spiritual practices with how he's presenting these words. Yeah. It's horrifying to be honest. And you know, this isn't even a new problem. We're just now seeing it in the like bright lights. It's very present and, and right in our face in this example, but this isn't something that just started happening. Colonialism of indigenous practices has been happening within the Western New Age movement for a long time. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, the colonialization of indigenous practices, I think, really flared up within the 20th century more than before when we were just simply looked down upon and not like having our practices stolen. Within the 20th century, um, several things came up. People, I think there was a hunger uh, in the West for spirituality, and that I think is a legitimate hunger that people return to. This is why there are people yeah. in the West practicing witchcraft today. Um, but they, they, with that hunger, they just look at the traditions that are nearby and available and take these practices. And the w- reason why the word shaman became popular is really because of the core shamanism movement started by sort of the the Michael Harner gang, which I have very mixed feelings about because what he's done is he does present a lot of spiritual practices, which are legitimate spiritual practices, but he takes them outside of their cultural context. And the reason why that is harmful is because if you take the cosmology out of our practice and essentially make it into sort of an empty shell template that can be used for a lot of different cosmologies to replace on it, that's essentially giving people permission to sort of take the methodology and apply their own, you know, beliefs or even fantasies upon it. Um, and one thing that, that I did appreciate the, the original core shamanism gang doing, which I don't think a lot of people follow, they don't actually refer to any of themselves as shamans. They don't refer to any of their students or anyone who practices as shamans. They use the term shamanic practitioner, which, you know, it, it's fine. But what a lot of people have been doing is that they learn these core shamanism methods and then they start calling themselves a shaman without a lineage, without a pantheon, without a cosmology without an understanding of the spirit world. It's almost like it's like these are instructions and you go figure it out yourself, which in, in our tradition is very dangerous. That's why we have a lot of training about sort of like mapping out the spiritual cosmology before we do any of the actual spirit work. And what has also happened is that people along in the New Age movement, because they see this as sort of an empty template to sort of fill out on their own, people start applying mythologies that had nothing to do with shamanism onto this template. This is why we're seeing we're seeing a boom of 
books that are titled, you know, Irish shamanism, core shamanism, Slavic shamanism, or even like, like just taking a random tradition around the world and applying the word shamanism to it. Basically what that book is, is basically Harner style core shamanism, but with, for example, Thor or Bridget or, you know, Isis. It's basically, it, it becomes almost like a fill in the blank um, method of taking whatever uh, culture, whatever mythology people are fascinating with and putting it on top of core shamanism. I love that you refer to him as like living in his own fantasy, which is exactly what all this is. Like he's literally just LARPing. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope for his safety and why, I mean, why would I worry for his safety, but for his safety, mm -hmm. I, I hope that what he's doing is basically no different from just video gaming, because if he actually did attract the attention of spirits, um, of indigenous spirits, it's going to have severe repercussions for him. So if it's some if if he's just doing like political video gaming, then and if that's all that is, then, you know, it's still so problematic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, especially because of the erasure of oh, indigenous yeah. culture, practice, spiritual, you know, path. It's, you know, if people want to hex this QAnon shaman, I'm not going to tell them not to. But I'm pretty sure we don't need to do anything uh, because it's coming down the pike anyway for him. Yeah. I but, mean, it, well, it, it, if he's appropriating Diné practices and uh, elders and practitioners within the Diné culture are saying that he's cursing himself, then you know what? Just let it run its flow. <laughs> so, OK, so we'll leave him alone. But what can mm -hmm. we do to help maybe tamper down some of the appropriation of these indigenous cultures and then maybe some advice for people seeking this type of work and how they can make sure they don't end up with somebody who's just literally a copycat phony. Sure. I mean, I guess the first thing I will say, and this, I find I have to make this caveat a lot. When I claim that a tradition is not shamanism, I'm not saying that that tradition is not legitimate or powerful. I'm just saying that it is not shamanism in the way that a watermelon is not an apple. <laughs> They're both fruits. <laughs> Um, shamanism refers to something specific. When I, whenever I say something is not shamanism, that doesn't mean that they, the person, an elder from that tradition, couldn't spiritually kick my ass. It's just they're not using shamanism to do so. Right. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say. So a lot of people get offended when I say that something is not shamanism because it's almost they feel like I'm attacking their practice. I'm, I'm just saying no, you're just not calling it the right thing. And so that's the first thing I want to address. The second thing is uh, I, I don't want to knock core shamanism too hard because the one good thing that has come out of it is that it's given people in the West a way to engage in a practice of in a spiritual practice, to say the least, because what it does do is that. They don't have the spirits of their lineage coming to them in the traditional shamanic way. What they're doing is they they're looking for um, allies in the spirit world that they could work with. Um, and I do. And there are a lot of people who have done this successfully. So I don't want to, um, you know, knock too much against that. But if they do want to 
approach approach core shamanism in the way that core shamanism is supposed to happen and then use that as a gateway to either their own ancestral practices or practices in which you know spirits or gods uh, come to them um, and and if they find that they're approaching a practice that's not within their ancestral culture, then engage with people who are from that culture and see what it is that you can do from do with them and see what, you know, basically what your capabilities and what your limitations are. Because people from those cultures who are initiated or who are practiced within those cultures, they will know very clearly what are some things that you can do and cannot do. For example, a lot of the things that I've written about, um, it, like um, in the book that I wrote about, those are open practices that technically could be practiced by anyone uh, within any indigenous culture. There are practices that are both open and there are practices that are closed. Open practices are pretty much free to practice as long as you acknowledge where those practices come from. And closed practices are ones that require a dedicated initiation to, you know, to be able to be allowed to receive those teachings. Um, so if if someone wants to engage respectfully, I would say, yeah, those are the steps. Of course, the core shamanism thing I mentioned, that's not you know required. That's one possible option if people want to engage that path. But at the end of the day, whatever tradition you're going to, it's best to communicate with the elders and the leaders within those traditions. That's that would be the most respectful thing to do. Yeah. And what for what would you say for people who are seeking out shamanic healing from a practitioner? How would they know that they're hiring someone who isn't appropriating? Uh, I mean, yeah, the the key thing is be very careful, but it really comes down to asking them the right questions. For me, whenever I come across someone who claims themselves to be a shaman or even to be a, a shamanic practitioner, I ask them what not only what tradition they're working out of, but what their lineage is. Who are their elders? You know, who are the ancestral spirits? I ask them. For, it's almost like a background check. Um, asking like who are they recognized uh, by who can who from a from a cultural tradition uh, from a lineage tradition can vouch for them so that that's really the big thing like so, some of my and this is not something that's even limited to the west even in asia itself i come across a lot of people who are either frauds or people who are bit quote unquote new age there's a ton, actually. And the ones that I maintain communication with, even as you know, close friends, for some of them, I've actually met their elders uh, in, in places that are very inaccessible by just modern transportation. So it's almost like you need to have that type of credential. You, if someone exhibits signs that gave themselves the title, they don't know people from within that tradition, they can quote. But what I've come across is that they quote books all the time. Um, they're able to quote books very well because, you know, they're great readers, but um, they are not able to quote an aspect of a living tradition that they have engaged with. I guess one thing that I, I do actually feel like I should add is if they want to engage with spirits, I do want to caution against um, engaging with just any random spirits, but instead um, try to engage with uh, and both ancestral spirits and the local land spirits. Um, because at the end of the day, being able to have a relationship with both of them is really going to not only just enhance their practice, but enhance 
their spiritual connection in something that could be considered somewhat shamanic. Um, and in the tradition that uh, I practice, it's believe that because land spirits are the only spirits that actually are indigenous to the physical world, they are the bridge between ourselves as well as not only just the ancestors, but higher beings such as gods themselves. So if we do have a strong connection, a strong relationship, a positive relationship with the local land spirits, it will help us to engage our spirits and our deities and our gods on a deeper level. And of course, um, our ancestors are always the spirits that we can trust the most. Maybe not every single ancestor, but um, among our ancestors are spirits that will always help us unconditionally. Um, sometimes, yeah. even if they're a little problematic, they don't judge us as much as, you know, God's will. And what David's talking about by honoring land spirits, uh, a good example of this is just respecting the land around you for, for starters. Um, if you're going to cut a flower, maybe just sit with it for a moment and see if you have permission. You'll feel it. You will. And connecting to nature around you and like especially where you live. But there are extensive things you can do to honor your land spirits, um, offerings that you can give. Do you want to give some examples of that, David? Uh, so in our tradition, whenever we give offerings, we almost always give um, a combination of milk, tea, grains, you know, sometimes like, you know, breads, like foods like that. Um, they do give meat offerings, but that's only for like very large and heavy ceremonies, uh, not for just casual offerings. Uh, one thing I've come across, the one thing that I've actually discussed with traditional shamans is that land spirits who are used to receiving offerings love receiving just like any offerings that are given um, in like the ones I described above, like drinks, food and stuff. But sometimes you might come across uh, land spirits who are quote unquote a little bit more wild. They're not so used to working with humans and they might not always understand the offerings. So one thing I also want to mention is that there, if there's any unifying aspect of land spirits in any part of the world, the one thing they love is treasure because they're indigenous to the physical world. So they are a little bit materialistic. If they don't understand the offerings that you're giving them, if you give them, you know, like a piece of crystal or like a gold bead um, or a piece of coral, that's definitely something that they love. I don't know what it is about land spirits, especially some of the more wild ones that don't engage with humans a lot. They will always recognize treasure. And that's always something that they will love and accept. Um, and it will be the basis of forming a good relationship. But if you come across, like if you go to an indigenous land where people have been honoring the land, they'll recognize like food and drinks and will accept that happily as well. I love that. And I guess the key is, like you said, to be very careful and approach things with sensitivity, which actually leads me to a subject that I want to revisit from my last episode, the devil card. So we were talking about the devil card in that episode. Well, I shouldn't say we because it was just myself. Um, and whether or not the card has anti-Semitic meaning behind it. Um, it was brought to my attention that some of the things I said may have hurt the Jewish community. And when language that strong is used for something, you have to address it. You can't just sweep it under the rug. So I am sensitive to that plight and, and that... Uh, that shakes me to the core, to be honest, when someone told, tells me I'm hurting an entire community of people. It's the last thing I'm here to do, and I think, I think we've established that at this point. 
Um, what I do want to address, though, is I think there was a little bit of misunderstanding as to the meaning behind the devil card versus the background of the Golden Dawn itself. Really, the focus was on the card itself and its meaning, its definition, its the way it's read. It was brought to my attention, which I had never heard before uh, and still can't find literature about, but I would love to learn more about this, that the, the three white men, so surprise, surprise, the three white men who began the Order of the Golden Dawn, uh, they were all three Catholics and were appropriating Hasidic culture. This is new information to me. Um, so there was there was some obviously I'm not surprised it's white men that's what that's what they've always done historically speaking um so I am I am happy to have that brought to my attention but I do still feel like there's still a question mark around the devil card itself and I I want to talk to people about this so if you have a voice for this the person I asked to discuss it with me has yet to get back to me so I am open for this discussion. I would love to continue it. Um, the other thing, too, was I was told that it was poorly researched. <sighs> okay. I'm. I, this is not NPR, friends. Okay. I am not a journalist. I'm a, I'm a tarot reader professionally. I'm a teacher of tarot and magic, and I'm a practicing witch who does this podcast as a hobby. I'm not here making money. I'm not here to be the official voice for literally anything. The whole point of this show is to interview people and practitioners, promote their work, and discuss relevant topics that are coming up now. And I think it's dangerous uh, for my practice for people to insinuate that there's anti-Semitism behind the deck that over 100 years all decks have been based off of pretty much. Uh, that's dangerous to my entire career. So um, I think it's important to discuss this further. I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm saying that we need to continue this conversation. So I will actually be interviewing some scholars about this uh, at some point in the season. And I did want to address that I am sensitive to you know, people's feelings and I am not here to hurt an entire community of people, uh, <laughs> I am very sorry if I said something that bothered you. And you know what's funny? This wasn't even what I was obsessing about. I knew I had said something that was completely absurd, and I wanted to address that as well. Um, towards the end of the episode, I said, it was a terrible metaphor. Please strike it from the record. Something about, I had said something about if you would you buy attraction magic from a practitioner who specialized in hexes, something along those lines. This was a terrible metaphor. Please understand that episode was supposed to be something completely different. I had about one hour to put material together so that I could be included with some publicity stuff. And I'm just going to be fully candid with you guys because that's what I do. Um, and so I did kind of throw that episode together a little bit and, um, being poorly researched. No, I've been studying about tarot for a really, really long time. So it's not poorly researched, like 10 years I'm, I'm in, in reading. I haven't read everything. I don't know everything, but it's not poorly researched. Um, 
But yeah, I, I did say something that is not true. There are plenty of practitioners out there who specialize in both and do both beautifully. It was a bad metaphor, and I apologize for that. I apologize, too, if I hurt anyone with my Devil Card episode. We will be continuing this discussion. I am not putting this to bed. This is absolutely not over. And we're going to get to the bottom of it. That's my goal. In any case... Thank you so much, David, for coming on to the show and sharing your insights. These are really important things for people to be focusing on, especially right now. So I really am grateful for your time. Of course. Thank you very much for having me on. Stay mystic, witches. Beautiful! Yes! Be sure to subscribe to Mystic Witch on any of your favorite platforms. And you can show your support by contributing monthly at anchor.fm or on our Patreon page. Follow us on social media to hear exclusive audio clips from our guests at Mystic Witch Podcast. Mystic Witch.